0: Christmas. I need more prawns. I'm going to need more prawns. Oh, the prawns! No, I'm going to have fresh prawns. I gave the prawns away the other day, and then I need more of this, and I need more of that, and I just get so excited, and and the. the the diligence that I want to have over my finances gives way to the generosity of stewarding Christmas and that challenge comes together. But I just absolutely love that overwhelming generosity that comes around my heart for people on that day and it expands to that whole season. And my hope is that for me personally is that it expands throughout the whole year. It's Christmas, Emmanuel, Jesus coming into our world every day, not just on Christmas Day, which is more generous than anything I could do. On my own, that's for sure. I want to get straight into a couple of things into the message because before I start my message, I've received three words for you. Um, one, before I arrived this morning, and two, in this incredible time of worship. And um, I know that if I don't get straight onto it, I'm going to be gas-bagging. Well, I don't want to keep you too long. So first one is, before I arrive, um, I received a word for you that as a church, you're entering into a season of an anointing for reconciliation of personal relationship. Um, and and I, I like to think God and I uh, have a sense of humor with one another. And you said, make your relationships great again. And so it's wherever you're at with your personal relationships, make them great this Christmas. And I believe there's an anointing that will carry you through that. Uh, and as we're, we're stewards of our relationships, sometimes we can forget about them. Like a garden out the front or a garden out the back, we can forget to till it. But we look at it after a year and we realize it's not as pretty as it once was. And if I just invested an hour and tilled the soil and pulled the weeds out, it could be beautiful again. And I believe there's an anointing for you if you would. Take a moment to look at your personal relationships and there'll be an anointing that will carry you like a wave to make that more effective than you ever could on your own. And that's the word I got for you then. In worship, I've got two others who were talking about this amazing production. Pastor Sam was just talking about some practicalities of last night and tonight. and It was really touching my heart for those that serve, that get involved. But also last night does not happen without the people inviting. It's easy in our humanity to think, well, Sunday will happen, to fall back on that. And I love that even the transparency when he, when he mentioned, you know, a bit nervous about last night. That's because that means we're activating our faith. It took a real activation of faith to go to a Saturday night. And what I love is that you invited. You know, the, the team can do everything they can do. God can want the place full. But unless you play our part, your part, it just doesn't happen. It's just so fantastic. And then we're talking about tonight. And, and, I, and I feel like it'd be very easy to become a little bit complacent. I'm not saying you would, but it can affect the way you might proactively go out and invite. And God said there is a Zacchaeus out there. There's a Zacchaeus in our community that doesn't matter about the crowds. It doesn't matter if he's got to squeeze in and look through one of those windows. Climb a tree to be able to see. Yeah. There are people that want to hear the message of Jesus, and this place cannot be full enough. Yeah. Yeah. And Sam and Kate will solve those problems somehow. <laughs> but don't let any complacency come around tonight, because there, there, there is a Zacchaeus in your world that wants to climb a tree to hear the great news that is Jesus coming. Uh, and then the third one was... Um, I was just really overwhelmed too with like a, a pastoral anointing in this home. Um, and when, when families are big, the natural, um, the natural consequence of a, a massive family with 12 kids is there is less one-on-one time with mum and dad. That's part of it. But it doesn't mean the family is any less effective. This family's big and getting bigger. In a family that's big, it's a job of the children to respond really well to the parenting and take up the culture. And I see big families that have an amazing culture throughout. And I believe that here I want to encourage you that there is an anointing to be pastored, or to translate that into a, a, wor- a more practical word, parented. And if you'll adopt the culture that's available for you to adopt here, catch the changes in your life that you could implement, you'll grow up big and strong. I really believe there's an anointing. And now, I'll go over to my message. For the words. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the words that I've been prepared before today to say to you and squeeze them in somehow. But Lord, I'm just so grateful for this opportunity. I'm so grateful that you're a God who hears, a God who speaks, and a God who speaks with power. There'd be nothing worse more horrifying to me than it's me speaking today telling stories and being any any kind of entertainment or information it's all about hearing from you and and i just want to create an atmosphere where lord we acknowledge your presence already been created i'm just confirming it with words you're welcome you want to speak to us and we want to hear And somewhere, whether it's the exact words that come out of my mouth or reading between the lines, by your Spirit, speak to every ear in Jesus' name. Amen. I was given a scripture to share with you this morning, and uh, I'm almost tempted to just go straight to it, but i really got to check on my heart to create context, even though for anyone who's been in the church world for any length of time, context is not required. It's implied. (laughs) Then God showed me just... Speak on the context. There might be a person. And then I thought, hey, what a beautiful thing. Give the context. There's a young couple, Mary and Joseph. In our vernacular today, you'd say they were engaged to be married. Scholars would put Mary at around about 15, very somewhere, maybe as young as 12, up to 16, somewhere in there. Very, very young girl. Incredible things have happened to her with her relationship with God. (laughs) And she finds herself miraculously pregnant to the promised Messiah, a 15-year-old girl. She had the most difficult conversation anyone has ever had to have. Because what's awkward in culture today, though it shouldn't be because all of us have fallen short and no one should throw any stones ever, but back then, if you were in Mary's situation, unless you were believed to really have fun telling this story, oh yes, no, this is the child of God in my belly, you could be killed and put to death. That's really the consequences. And how do you ma- manage that? How do you, how do you balance that? How do you walk out into society with that as your story? What a hero of the faith Mary was, this 15-year-old girl, in an impossible situation for any human separate from God, but she had God literally with her. (laughs) So Joseph, I've got something to tell you. Very difficult conversation. Her response, so much better than even on my best day I would ever think that I might reach. (laughs) Let it be to me, as you have said, when Mary hears the news, all that fear that you know you'd have in your heart, all of the questions, all of the confusion. What do you mean I'm going to be pregnant? The list of questions that would hit your head and your heart simultaneously to push that idea away. Mary's response, let it be to me as you have said. Just incredible. She's just amazing, this young girl. And, over her pregnancy, <laughs> these words come out of her mouth. It's called Mary's Song. I'm going to read this for you. This is not the scripture that we'll be preaching on, but I was led to it. Um, in Luke chapter 1, we don't have this in the slide, so please forgive any confusion that I'm creating by my talking. <laughs> um, Mary sings this song. We call it Mary's Song. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant." From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Wow. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful. I was reading that this morning from these words. I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to ask the question, when did she say those words? You know, she carried this pregnancy and all these difficult situations in society. But then she saw her relative Elizabeth who had compassion on her and had empathy on her. And the baby in Elizabeth's tummy let. For Joy did a flip. I'm sorry, I'm a bloke. I'm not good at this. Moved, (laughs) kicked. (laughs) And Elizabeth, for the first time ever, emotionally and physically and mentally embraced and accepted Mary. And this song leapt out of Mary immediately. And I thought, what a great message for all of us to be like the Elizabeth, to be the one who accepts and embraces and calls forth anyone in any kind of challenge. Call out their best. And in so doing, we have a scripture that is just beautiful. We call it Mary's song, but I wonder if it ever would have made it out of Mary's lips if it wasn't for the Elizabeths. And if that's all I get across today, it was a message to me when I read it. Be the Elizabeths of this generation. See people, meet them, believe them. Even if you have a problem with their story, it doesn't help to begin by questioning or doubting. We must meet people where they are. Let's get the details later. Let's drop the stones and walk towards. Let's not throw the stones or drop them and walk away. Let's put the stones down, cross the line embrace elizabeth a hero joseph doesn't seem to get many sort of christmas accolades in a lot of nativity scenes he's more like an extra than a main character but man he had the biggest wrestle any guys had to deal with god put a peace in his heart and for all of his life he had to throw what people thought of him out the window all of his life in that moment it's not a small decision in fact he was just the best guy ever to have it in mind to divorce her quietly so that she wouldn't be put to death to make no scene to just walk away but God gave him a peace and he said that's my cross to bear and he bore it and I just see that beautiful picture of Joseph walking along with the donkey and Mary he did that walk let his wife, pregnant with a child of God. And that's the context for our scripture. Luke 2, 4-7. And technical people, by the grace of God, I thank you. I think we have a slide. There we go. Good job. <laughs> so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. An extremely challenging year, I'd submit. I certainly can't imagine how challenging their year was. Maybe you can, but it's right up there. You've got to be kidding me. Census now, Mary's due, no help from anyone else around. No support from our community. Walking alone, big journey, full term. Arriving at Bethlehem. There's no room. You have got to, I know myself, right? I know it's going to take me a long time to push the thought. You have got to be kidding me out of my heart to get any kind of peace. Like that beautiful pool of clear water that God speaks into. <laughs> There's pollution in my heart, man. I'm like, That's it. I've had enough. This is too hard. There they are, there's no room. And you know what? I can really relate to the innkeepers. I don't know how many inns they visited, but they have no rooms. It's census time. That's understandable. So many people are displaced. The normal standard makes sense. I'm living my life. People are just people. I've got a business to run. I've got no rooms left. My rooms are all full, I'm at capacity. Find somewhere else. I understand that. It's not a convenient time to be looking for a room. I understand. I can't believe they left it this late. I'd understand those thoughts. Those thoughts are normal. No rooms left. No rooms left. No rooms left. And I'd I'd love to encourage you to consider that as your default. Because so often when we're hearing a message, we think of ourselves as the one who get it right. <laughs> and the more the longer I've been a Christian the more I'm learning it's better for me to at least consider the possibility that I may be the one who's doing it wrong because it opens up my heart to so much more revelation and it comes (laughs) and so I find myself so often in this place of well there's no more room I've checked that box I've stamped that passport I've done that thing I've did what I could I'm getting about my business but I am so grateful to God that maybe as the little bell on the door rang, as Joseph and Mary walked out of another reception venue or or accommodation, that they said, no, I've got to do something. And they ran back out and they said, guys, guys, I've got a manger. Now, there are incredible stories in the Bible. The Shunammite woman stands out. And it's a great teaching, a powerful teaching that we should build extra room in our lives for the man of God, for the kingdom. And that is absolutely true. But there comes a time where we are at capacity and we need to make room in the moment. And that's what this message is about. I'm not saying don't build the extra room, have more room, make more room. But there is a time in our life where we feel like we are at capacity and the room is full and another prophet is coming to town. But rather than dismiss them, We need to think creatively, and God can make a way for us to allow the kingdom of God to move in us and through us. Jesus in a manger, just because something wouldn't be man's choice, just because something wouldn't be my choice, doesn't mean it's not God's choice. Just because in that moment I can't make another room, doesn't mean that God doesn't plan to use that moment. Just because maybe I can't do a beautiful production like this, doesn't mean I can't invite someone around for a meal and try to throw something together in the fridge. Just because everything doesn't seem perfect right now, and I actually had an hour to spare, conveniently doesn't mean that when the moment is right, that we shouldn't seize it and do what we can. Just because something doesn't seem all that magical at the time, doesn't mean it's not going to end up being miraculous. You know, just because all the tinsel isn't there and all the lights aren't there and it's all, yeah, this is obviously God's going to do a miracle here. Look at this beautiful hotel room. This is fitting of a child of God. Often he'll use the manger, he'll use the broken, he'll use the weak. I'd almost think that we need to program ourselves deliberately to look for the move of God when we least expect it rather than when we most expect it. And somewhere in that seesaw of balance, we can at least release, get, arrive at the place where, you know what, God can move anytime He likes. But I submit to you that we can become attuned to God moves on Sunday mornings, God moves on Sunday night. And then I can clock off. We all know we, God moves on Monday mornings. God moves when we least expect it. How many amazing opportunities do we miss because we didn't recognize the opportunity or think of some kind of solution? Now, here's the thing there are God ordained times in your life that you are the person through whom the kingdom is coming. There are, they are moments there are moments that just feel a lot more normal and it's you with your family and they're valuable there are moments where you literally have to just be out there making a living and that's good so what we've got to do is get to a place where we're ready to allow the kingdom to move in us and when we are expect this counter from the enemy to try to think that you've got to do everything all the time because I have seen it so often through my Christian life. If the enemy can't get you to be selfish, he'll get you to be too busy. He literally will. It's a great strategy. It's brilliant. His first goal is to get you to be self-centered. If you refuse and you die to yourself and you offer yourself up as a living sacrifice, the next challenge is to hear the voice of the shepherd, to recognize his voice. His voice comes in your spirit, which bubbles up to your soul, which is where your feelings are. Yeah. That's where your feelings are. So the voice will always have feelings. And I'd submit to you, if we can't hear Jesus' voice audibly with these ears, it's, our, it's in a, the realm of our feelings that we get to know our Savior's voice. I'm not saying all the time you can hear audibly from God. No, I'm not saying this is a science, maybe more of an art. But we don't learn the voice scientifically. We learnt it by growing up and hearing the voice and following the voice and recognising it, that uh, it is the voice of our Saviour, the Holy Spirit, leading us into an incredible life for Him. So it comes with feelings, is how you recognise this voice. And there are feelings that are exclusively used by the enemy. Feelings of condemnation. Feelings of guilt. Feelings of accusation. Feelings of temptation. These are the language of the enemy. The voice of our Savior is simple and true. It is honest. It still is usually trying to alter behavior, but it's doing it as a loving parent. Beautiful. Coming, putting his hand on your shoulder and pointing at the possibilities on the horizon. Simply saying, I'm not giving you all the details about this challenge, but I am giving you a simple challenge and I'm setting it before you. And I'd love for you to just do this. That's how God speaks. The enemy speaks in condemnation because it belongs to him. He's the accuser. He's the tempter. These are the ways that he uses. He tries to alter your behaviour to do things that seem good, but they're not what is right for you in that moment. And he's doing it in an effort not to earn, a, not to get you a crown in heaven, but to render you useless in this life. Now I'm probably going to stuff this up because there's too much rhyming, so I might need to try it again. <laughs> Don't let the good that you could do distract you from the good that you should do. Don't let the good that you could do distract you from the good that you should do. Because imagine if this week, every single one of us just did the good that we were called to do. Not distracted by anything else. So we wanna give up our lives on one hand and that stops us from being selfish and it's a work in progress, but it's a philosophical change. It's a heart attitude. I don't live for me. I've died to myself. To die is to live, got it. But now it's like, now I need to hear the voice to not be distracted by all the things out here because I can't give everyone the manger. But when the Holy Spirit says manger, that's when I know I need to make the extra room that's when the kingdom is calling. I, um, I was going through a really difficult time in my family. Uh, everything was crashing down. My prayer list had never been longer. <laughs> or for you that have been through challenges before, it had never been deeper. <laughs> and it was incredibly difficult. And um, I walked into my office And there are two giant teddy bears, bigger than me. Those teddy bears were not on my prayer list. (laughs) I didn't need teddy bears. But immediately something in my heart happened that, wow, people care. And I took them home. It was quite dangerous, actually, because my my vision was terribly hindered. I couldn't see out of the rearview mirror of my car. And I had to look under their arms to see the side mirrors. I had three seats in the back of my car and these two teddy bears took up the entirety of the back seats. They were literally, I put seatbelts on them just because that was fun. (laughs) Those teddy bears were not on my list. I don't want to tell you what my prayer list was at the time. But you know, a week later I look back and not in the way that I wanted. And not for the time that I wanted. But every single thing on my prayer list was alleviated and addressed by those teddy bears. And that doesn't make sense because the things on my prelist had nothing to do with teddy bears. But my girls were sleeping on them. They were uh, where they would have been fighting or arguing. They were sleeping on him and giggling and watching TV. And one of them would look over at the other and go, <laughs> Teddy. <laughs> and everything got easier. And you know, it kicked us out of a rut and it changed my thinking in that moment where I saw them. And again, that week later when I realized, oh my gosh. How good are you, God? Because I never thought of teddy bears. I would have walked straight past them. But in that time, I'd, my prayer list was like the room that I was looking for. And I'm just so grateful that Pastor Sam and Kay, somehow our world's not passing each other, but they organized for two teddy bears to be delivered into my office. And they made a manger for my family. No one had to do that. No one was asking. They did it, and it made, I'd submit, much more of a difference than you could ever know. It changed not just the practical details, but it adjusted our faith. That's not a human idea. It wasn't your idea. (laughs) That's hearing the prompting. Can Sam and Kay go by everyone, a massive giant teddy bear? They can't. And it wouldn't do the good that it did. But if we can get good at hearing the voice and recognizing our manger moments, we can make an incredible difference. How can we be innkeepers of hope, stewards of ourselves, so we, we neither get selfish nor burnt out, and recognize like a laser beam with focus, the opportunities that we have to allow the kingdom to come, for the Son of God to come through our actions into the world, to shine bright like a star in the universe, to make an incredible difference in those wonderful moments that we do have. And they do have, and there is a timeline of your life, and you are one minute closer to your next opportunity than you were one minute ago. It is coming. I don't want you to miss it. You don't want to miss it. How can we be innkeepers of hope? The first one, uh, the first point is the Holy Spirit. Because without understanding the Holy Spirit, or knowing His voice, or His prompting, then we lose, I feel bad even reducing it to the word advantage, but the Holy Spirit is an incredible advantage that we have, that we don't have to guess. Jesus said, it's better that I go, so you can have a counsellor. Let's take advice of his counsel. He's, he's the Godhead who speaks back to us if we will ask and stop and listen. Um. Now, many of you have a really strong dialogue with the Holy Spirit now, but I'd just love to to pray with you at this point so that we can all begin, uh, unplug those ears so we can begin to have an incredible dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. Across the board, everyone in this room, Lord, I'm so grateful. Holy Spirit, I pray for an increase in our personal relationship with you. I'd ask that we would hear you more clearly. I'd ask that within an hour, you've whispered something to us to lead us on a journey of understanding you more, of recognizing your voice more easily. I pray you'd meet us mercifully at a relatively easy level, something that we can do and then we get confirmation that we heard your voice, we acted and you speak to us again. Well done, good and faithful servant. Help us to learn your voice so that we can be innkeepers of hope and change our families our relationships our cities and our world in jesus name amen <clears throat> in of hope recognize the opportunities to recognize an opportunity you have to value a person and that's a thing to say but at a whole nother level it's a thing that becomes a reality in our heart and none of us value people enough We can always value people more. Jesus died for the person sitting next to you. Jesus died for the person that you'll meet whose name you don't know later on today in a shop somewhere. Jesus died. Like Sam said, Jesus came. He gave up for them. It's really significant. That's what matters most. God is very happy for us to be on a journey with him, But he (laughs) pays a lot less attention to our convenience than another person. The time for comfort is coming, but it is not now here. (laughs) It's Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus has come. And (laughs) we celebrate that it is finished. But the time of comfort is not yet here for us. It is to challenge our comfort to value people. If I was to summarise Christianity, that is, the love of God to challenge our comfort to love people. The only thing that matters, the Bible says this. That's got to get your attention, doesn't it? Galatians. The only thing that matters. Ooh. (laughs) What? (laughs) Why didn't I just skip to this bit? The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. So all we learn about love in the Bible, real love. Not love warped and twisted and what it's referred to today, but the love we learn from God. Turning our faith into doing that in our community. It's really quite simple. And so we need to recognize there's opportunity. So what does that look like in your world? And what could it look like? Manger moments. No room, sorry. No room, sorry. No room, sorry. Oh, what's that? There's an opportunity, and I believe that God has created a sovereign moment for me to go beyond the extra mile for this person in this moment. Not to be worn out, it will feel beautiful. It will feel inconvenient, but it will feel beautiful. And it's an unusual combination in this life, (laughs) because inconvenience is usually a very ugly friend. (laughs) But with God, that inconvenience feels right. Right? then, because we live busy lives, life is busy. I propose it's because of the pressure of debt, the pressure of peers, and the presence of distraction. We're busy. We just spent half an hour on Facebook. Oh, me. The distractions fill up any void in time. And then the pressure, because we're at debt levels that have never been seen before in history, that we have to go to work and it's Friday before we're earning our grocery money. That's a pressure on your job. That's not normal. (laughs) We're more used to it now, but it changes the way we value those around us. As our deck goes up, our fences get higher. We've got two garages now, so we don't have to walk outside, see the neighbours. Every day feels like census day. (laughs) The rooms are always full. We'll see hundreds of things a day we could do. We do need to know what we should do. Inkeepers of hope, make a way. We don't have time in that moment to build a room. That doesn't mean you haven't been a great steward. There are times to build a room, but right now, I'm at capacity, but I see the need. That's when all you need is that wisdom. What about the manger? What about the manger? And what will happen is the enemy will then barrage you with a thousand reasons why that isn't suitable. You can't offer them the manger. You'll think of all these things because one of the dialects of the enemy is doubt. But Jesus never says to you, oh, the manger's no good. That doesn't sound like your shepherd, does it? Oh, what will you do? How will you afford it? That's not the voice of trust and hope in a provincial God. Providential God. That's a very different word. (laughs) Thank you for your grace. (laughs) And God will give you the wisdom. The manger wasn't man's idea, it's... God's idea. He had that plan before the innkeeper was born. Wow. There'll only be a manger. Perfect. That sounds like just like us. <laughs> Come in humble. Manger. Love it. High five, Father. Excellent. Good idea. All right. Let's create things now because we've got the plan in mind. Just incredible. So know that there'll be pressure coming. But so often in your life has it been the whole, you've got the idea as the opportunity's leaving. And you think, and you know that moment of do it. And you have the questions, but you go in spite of the questions. And you're sort of leaving the questions behind. And your face is showing, I've got lots of questions. (laughs) But um, there's a manger. That's where you'll say, but I've only got 50 cents. Do what you can. Move. Act. You're called to be the answer. It's not a case of whether I act, it's what can I do. It's it's less about whether I'll do anything. It's more about in this moment that I've identified as a sovereign moment, what will I do? And then innkeepers of hope do their best with what they have at the time that they're asked. You won't have much. You're at capacity already. I'm not saying teddy bears are much because they're the biggest teddy bears I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but Sam and Kay were able to do that. My prayer list, they weren't able to do that. They didn't know it, but, but those teddy bears made more of a difference than they could ever imagine. Moses had a really big job, massive. If I'm Moses, right, this is a simple God, you want me to lead these people? No problem at all. I'm going to need 500,000 helicopters. Uh, That'll get us over, all right? Um, Enemy, Mm. we'll probably need about 100,000 tanks, okay? And when we get to the other side, we'll need some catering. If you get a rate, great. All right, let's do this, God, me and you. God goes, oh, okay, cool. Um, What's that in your hand? A stick. Perfect. Perfect. God chose the stick. No one chooses the stick. So almost celebrate that what you have to offer in that moment is silly. A manger is silly. I'm grateful that the innkeeper probably didn't believe any stories or anything like, oh, son of God, (laughs) because he'd be less likely to offer the manger. The miracles in the move, not the magnitude of the stuff. Gideon, oh, excellent. All right. Okay, well, let's do this. How many people in your army? That's way too many. We need less people. That doesn't make sense. No one says that. No one says that. Abraham, this is my father. He's going to be the father of many nations. I really like him. How old are you again, Abraham? 80. No kids yet? All right. Let's wait another couple of decades. God's ways are not our ways. So don't be confused when what you have to offer in that moment is just a manger. Because the miracle happens through you offering up what you do have. And I just love to close in prayer for you. Um, if you want to come up, why don't we all stand? And just love to pray sovereignly about the message and our mangers that approach, Lord. We're just so thankful, Lord, that you came. Like Pastor Sam said at the outset, that you came. We're so grateful, we're so grateful that we have the story of you being raised in a manger, and we learn so much about your ways. I pray, Lord, that we can be like that innkeeper. We make the right things available at the right time. Give us wisdom to not be selfish and also wisdom to be stewards of our opportunities. Every person in here as I look out has opportunities. They're coming. Maybe they're half an hour away. Maybe they're five days away. Maybe they're next month. But as I look out, I see you guys glowing with opportunity. I pray that not a single opportunity be missed. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you teach us to hear your voice clearly crisply that you'll lead us that you'll guide us I'm so grateful in Jesus name and then I'd also like to pray for anyone who might like to come alongside Jesus and walk with him many of you already follow Jesus but if you